This is the Cherry Leaf Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Cherry Leaf Podcast. In this episode, I want to talk about writing procedures that are needed for regulatory compliance. By this I mean organisations that might be investigated by a regulatory body. Some organisations are regulated and they have the possibility of regulators or auditors coming in and checking if they comply with the rules. External audits and compliance reviews are something that an organisation should take seriously. Firstly, external audits are often required by law or regulations, and non-compliance can result in penalties or legal action against the organisation. So organisations need to make sure that they're meeting the legal and regulatory requirements. They can also help an organisation identify any inaccuracies, errors or potential fraud in their data, and this can help organisations become aware of issues which hopefully can be then corrected or prevented for the future. Sometimes there's an accreditation that goes along with an audit or compliance. This might help an organisation maintain or improve its reputation. It could demonstrate to investors and customers that the organisation operates to a certain standard. And the review can also examine the processes of a company. You might get feedback on the areas where the organisation can improve its processes, reduce costs or even increase efficiencies. This could lead to better use of resources and improved performance. And related to that, it can help an organisation manage risk, that is, identifying and mitigating risks in areas such as cybersecurity or financial compliance. This could help the organisation avoid or minimise potential losses. If the organisation doesn't comply, there's the risk that the regulatory body might fine them, close them down, or even charge people with a criminal offence. Let me give you some examples. Some organisations have to comply with anti-money laundering checks and Know Your Customer checks. Know Your Customer, or KYC, checks are guidelines and regulations, mostly in the financial services sector, that require staff professionals to verify the identity, suitability and risks involved with maintaining a business relationship with that customer. These are typically a mandatory process of identifying and verifying the client's identity when they open an account. They also verify existing customers periodically over time. An AML investigation is the formal analysis of any suspicious or what's called red flag activities to determine if customers or businesses are using a bank 
or another type of financial institution for money laundering purposes. These are checks to make sure that the business is legitimate, that any money they're investing is for themselves and not for other people where that money might have come about by illegal means. Another set of regulations that international banks will have to deal with are what are called OFAC screening. OFAC stands for the Office of Foreign Assets Control, which is an office within the United States Treasury Department. OFAC screening is about checking whether companies and individuals are violating federal sanctions against transactions involving certain foreign nationals or vertical specially designated nationals. It involves checking identities against what's called the denied parties list, and this list is maintained by OFAC. As sanction violations can have national security implications, OFAC enforcement investigations present significant risks for any company or individual that are investigated by OFAC. Other organisations might be indirectly regulated as a result of them having mechanisms in place to follow a law. For example, how they keep information about their customers secure. To do that, many comply with standards such as ISO 27001. This is an international standard for managing information security. If they follow that standard, then information should be confidential. In effect, only authorised persons have the right to access information. There should be integrity. Only authorised persons can change the information. And information should be accessible to authorised persons whenever it's needed. And not only do they want to comply with ISO 27001 standard, they also want to become certified in that standard. As part of the certification, organisations have to prove that they have the relevant procedures and documentation in place. Some of the clients that we do work with operate in these types of environments. And some of them worry that regulators might come in at short notice and ask them to prove that they have the checks and policies and procedures in place, and that those policies and procedures are compliant, and that those policies and procedures are being followed in a compliant and consistent way. They might also want to do all the customer verification and unusual transaction checks in an efficient way. This all means that they need to have good documentation. They need a detailed set of policies and procedures that address the organization's specific risks and vulnerabilities. For example, these should include detailed guidance on customer due diligence, transaction monitoring, suspicious activity reporting, and employee training and awareness. So how do you tackle a problem like this? The answer to that depends on where you're starting from. You need to ask, do you have the policies and procedures and checks and balances in place that are complete, accurate, legally compliant and up to date? 
these you might call utility type questions. If you do have policies and procedures that are written to that standard, then there's a second type of question that you need to ask. And that is, is the information clear and findable? Is it consistent? Is it actionable? And you could call those usability type questions. Let's look at what to do if you do not have the policies and procedures and checks and balances in place that are complete, accurate, legally compliant and up to date. Before you start writing, there are a few things you should do. Firstly, you should carry out a risk assessment of your organization's activities to determine the likelihood and potential impact of the potential problem. That is, for example, the potential for money laundering in the case of AML and KYC, or the potential for data breaches in the case of data security. This assessment will help you identify areas that require more attention and help you prioritize your efforts. Secondly, you should review all relevant laws and regulations related to your industry sector and ensure that your policies and procedures align with those requirements. You might need external advice to do that. Experts in law, the regulations or the regular standard. Then you should be in a position to start to develop your policies and procedures. So step one in that stage will be to get the information written down. It might be in people's heads, in experts' heads, and it needs to be documented. You might need to have meetings to agree what the policies, processes and procedures should be, to agree who should do what, to agree what should be done and in what order. For one company, we conducted a series of interviews with their subject matter experts and captured the knowledge that was in their heads. We wrote for them a series of policies and procedures which they then reviewed. And then there were a series of drafts until the policies and procedures were signed off and published. The advantage of this approach is that it doesn't require as much time as some of the alternatives from the subject matter experts. They share their knowledge and they review the documents. The downside is that there is no new writing expertise that's acquired by the subject matter experts. So there is a risk that future documents are not to the same standard or not as consistent if they are written in-house. So there might also be a need to have some sort of training to transfer skills across so that the organisation can do the next set of documents in-house if they want. An alternative approach is to get the subject matter experts to write down the policies and procedures themselves. It's unlikely to be perfect. The English may not be clear, but it does mean that you have something documented that you could show the regulators. You could help the subject matter experts by giving them training in how to write policies and procedures in a clear way. And we have clients where we provide training to do that. 
you could also provide them, the subject matter experts, with examples of what a good procedure looks like, which they could then copy. And you might also be able to create templates for them to use. And templates leads on to the next thing to say. There might be a stage before the procedure is written, a stage zero. That is to define an information design model. That could be to define what content goes into a policy document, what content goes into a process diagram, what content goes into compliance procedures, what content goes into operational procedures, what content goes into guidelines, and what content goes into how-to guides for the particular applications that are used within the organisation. An information model can also define how you connect the procedures that staff use with the compliance procedures that regulators want to see that you're following. That may involve defining some labeling or metadata that goes into the documents. It might also involve understanding the users and what they need from the content. And in this situation, there might be, or typically is, more than one type of user. There are the regulators and there are the staff. Related to this stage is how the information connects to each other and how it can be kept consistent. With regards to consistency, that might involve creating a terminology guide or database so that certain buzzwords or phrases are described in the same way across all of the documentation. It could also involve a voice and tone guide. It could also involve a playbook on how to write new procedures. For those, it may be that these are developed as the project goes along and are essentially completed after the main documents have been signed off. You might also consider what authoring tools and publishing tools that you use. Microsoft Word is the de facto choice for many, but there are alternatives that might be better in having coherent, consistent, auditable and usable content. Let's talk about the second stage. The second stage could be to improve policies and procedures that are accurate and complete, but aren't very usable. The information isn't clear and findable. It isn't consistent. It isn't actionable in an easy way. You can tell if information is clear and understandable and findable by asking or observing your users. Are they making mistakes? Are they complying with the policies? Is it taking them too long to complete tasks? Do they tell you that they don't understand the information that you've provided? Do the procedures match with the reality of how things actually have to be done? Do the documents give them enough information, the information they need, or is it so complicated that no one can understand them? In some situations, you can see it for yourself. You can ask people to follow the instructions, observe them, and see if the instructions actually enable them to complete the task correctly. You can see if you understand the content, assuming that is that you didn't write the content yourself. Instead of, or in addition to that, you can get our input. We can provide expert advice on whether the information is clear, 
if it follows generally accepted information design and communication principles. To improve the clarity of the content, you can provide training to your staff so that they can rewrite the policies and procedures in a better way. And that would work if they have the time to update and improve the content. You could create a projects team dedicated to rewriting and improving the content if that resource is available. And you can also bring in outside resource such as Cherryleaf and we can work on some or all of the policies and procedures and write them in a better way for you. The advantage of this approach is that it minimizes the workload on your staff. This type of project can also involve a training course so that there can be skills transfer to your staff. And it can also involve creating the terminology guide and voice and tone guide that we mentioned earlier. We're now at the stage of you having clear and accurate procedures. Your work doesn't end there. They need to be followed by staff. This can involve training employees on the new policies and procedures. It can involve implementing effective monitoring and reporting systems. Hopefully these exist already as they are the way that you identify and address any potential, what we might call bad activities. The content needs to be kept up to date. In other words, they remain effective and relevant in the face of changing risks and regulatory requirements. So there needs to be a way that you review and update them on a regular basis. You might engage a company such as Cherryleaf on a retainer to do that or create a reviewing committee. You might also want to carry out regular independent audits of your programs. This is to identify areas for improvement and to ensure that your organisation is fully compliant with all relevant laws and regulations. So those are the main options and steps that you have if you are in a situation where you need policies and procedures that might be reviewed by regulators. There's that challenge of having multiple audiences. The need for policies and procedures becomes much more important because the risk to the organisation of not having good policies and procedures becomes so much greater. But it is a solvable problem. By following these steps, you can create a comprehensive plan that will help you protect your organisation from the risks. However, each organisation will have its own unique demands and its own unique approach. Overall, the development of an effective programme requires commitment to ongoing training, awareness and compliance from all levels of the organisation. Well, that's probably enough for you to get on with at the moment. So we'll leave it at that point. If you have any questions or comments, you're more than welcome to contact us. You can email us via info at cherryleaf.com. So thank you for listening.